Thank you for joining us for DER Weekends. Unlike the Detroit Evening Report during the week, where we focus on the news of the day, on the weekend, we like to spend some time getting to know the people and places that make Detroit special. Today, Juma Say is joining us. Welcome, Juma. Hello, hello. So DER listeners will have heard you filling in a few times on the Detroit Evening Report. Yes. But let's help listeners get to know you a little bit better. Who is Juma Say? Oh, man, who is Juma Say? Well, officially, technically, I am a Croc Fellow from Washington, D.C., here in Detroit for three months of my fellowship, um, just being kind of a general assignment reporter for the member station. Um, Outside of that, my parents are from Sierra Leone. I'm a proud black American. Um, I don't know. I feel like place is very important for me. I am from Portland, Oregon. um, And I actually just got back from visiting my sister in Oregon uh, this morning. Ah, yes. You've been traveling a lot. You've got a very kind of uh, reporter's soul, I think. You know, somebody who I can see is super, super curious, really, really good at connecting to people and learning about spaces. And it's been fun to watch you exploring Detroit. So I'm going to ask you <laughs> what your impressions of Detroit are. What's like? What's been your experience of oh learning Lord, about yeah. and reporting in Detroit? Yeah, um, I've loved it. And I don't know if this is just because I do have a reporter's soul, as you were talking about, and I like to learn and explore and all that kind of thing. Um, but my two months here the two and a half thus far, has felt like an ongoing history lesson in the people, the culture, the vibes of, of Motor City. Um, I, I think it's a beautiful city. I think it's a beautiful community. Um, to be clear, when I say beautiful, I both mean in terms of like the kind of soft things, right? Like the interactions you have with folks at the grocery store and in lines and so on and so forth. But also in terms of the buildings, the architecture from downtown, buildings from 1920s um, were made to last. And uh, I don't know, I, I, I very frequently go into the Guardian building, for example, which was built in 1929. And it's just like jaw-droppingly beautiful. Um, so yeah, it's been, a, it's been a beautiful time here in Motor City. Well, and I, I, I appreciate how passionately you have worked your time <laughs> in the Motor City. I've been trying. <laughs> you are bringing to us a very Detroit story today. Tell me about the story you brought to us. Yeah, so um, up on East Grand Boulevard, the Underground Music Academy opened up. And it's essentially um, a space in which uh, I think the, the most colloquial way to put it is like kind of like old heads from the techno-electronic kind of music ecosystem um, will be offering their time, their energy to sort of embrace the next generation of, of musicians or Detroit-based musicians, that is. Um, I've kind of heard about the Music Academy for some time. They've been in construction. Um, the physical building space has been in construction, that is. Um, but they opened up a uh, educational studio when I got a chance to visit. Well, that's amazing. Well, let's hear that story. Robert Wajid O'Brien. He's the founder and director of the Underground Music Academy, or UMA for short. The Academy's mission is to help build the next generation of electronic music artists here in Detroit. Wajid is holding a very big pair of scissors and cutting a ribbon to unveil the UMA's new educational studio. Ready? After years of construction, the team of community leaders that brought the Academy to life are opening the space to the public. 
As he talks about what it means to finally start in-person programming, Wajid tells a crowd of peers and friends that the UMA is a home for the underdogs. This space is really built on inspiring people and acknowledging the underdog, devoting our time and our energy to focusing on the people that have been pushed to the margins. And from what I can tell, that's some of y'all in here. The new studio is in a 100-year-old building in the North End, 2990 East Grand Boulevard to be exact. And Wajid says that when it comes to music, this neighborhood is historic. Uh, we're just about five miles west of Motown Museum and Studio. Uh, we're about maybe two miles west of Moody Man's Palace and Underground Resistance. And uh, we're on a very Gordy Boulevard. But it's not just the community that carries history here. So does the building itself. It used to be the headquarters for Detroit's chapter of the NAACP. Wajid also came here a lot when he was coming up. In his teens, he won a creative contest that was put on by the NAACP, the Afro-Academic, Cultural, Technological, and Scientific Olympics, or ACTSO for short. So I used to come here when I was 16 and 17 to practice my speeches, which is, which is now our tool room downstairs. So I've got great memories of this building. Wajid says the fact that UMA now lives somewhere with so much personal and historic significance makes the unveiling even more special. I imagine Rosa Parks walking up and down those stairs, you know. Um, so that's part, of re- that's part of the reason I describe it in a historical sense and in a musical sense, because um, that's, that's, how, that's how I connect to it. One of the purposes of UMA is to preserve history, both the stories of civil rights leaders and the birth of electronic music. Wajid says he really wants to address the erasure of black Detroiters from the dance music narrative. Part of the reason for creating a school or creating a space is to remind locals first that it's our birthright. It's ours. The team isn't waiting to get things started. As we're talking, native Michigan musician and educator Diego Perez is teaching the UMA's very first class inside the studio. The class is open to anyone between 18 and 25 in the city, and it's about encouraging creativity on affordable synths and drum machines. Maritza Garibay is the director of orchestras at Detroit School of Arts in Midtown. She says that she's excited her students will have access to the instruments and programming at UMA. You know, it gives them a chance to escape and be creative and reset and refresh and feel proud and show off. Maritza also recognizes the history living in the walls around us as we're talking. At the same time, she says it makes sense that the building is evolving into something new. The city has seen a lot of changes this last decade, and unlike some aspects of Detroit's evolution, the gradual gentrification of Midtown or the continued development of downtown, for example, the UMA is genuinely for and accessible to the community. It's like the rebirth of the space. It's a rebirth, it's like a repurposing, and it's just as important to the community. It's just, you know, things evolve. Things change, culture changes, and you have to evolve with it or else it's gone. I've been working in education with the music for 15 years, I think, now. I, I didn't really pay attention because I was just, in my mind, having fun. DJ Stacy Hale is going to be one of the educators at UMA. She also goes by Hot Wax, or as she was introduced to me, the godmother of house music. She was the first woman to play house music on the radio in Detroit back in the 80s. She tells me that the building has come a long way since UMA bought it in 2015. 
That was just a couple years after either Wajid or another producer, Michael Mad Mike Banks, first thought of building a music school. They can't remember exactly whose idea it was. It was just a shell. But I could see the vision. I could see the vision. The room over there where they're selling the records and everything um, that was the home base and where they were working on SYG's office right over there. Now he has a wall. <laughs> As someone who's been there since the very beginning, both of UMA and Detroit dance music, period, Hale says that she likes to pay it forward. This is yet another milestone in a history that Hale has literally seen with her own eyes. You know, it's, it's all great. Every step on the, journey the big battle of who created house music, Detroit and Chicago. Did techno come before house or vice versa? I know the answer to all those questions because I was there. Nobody told me I was there. And I saw it, and so I know who did what. The UMA team is fundraising to help finish the building's construction in the months ahead. Until then, they're going to keep hosting studio sessions to help empower Detroit DJs to come. At the end of my earlier conversation with the Academy's director, Wajid, I asked what he wants for UMA in the future. His answer was simple. I believe in small-scale change, you know, um, if... Jesus Christ and, you know, like 12 of his homeboys could change the world, or, or at least 11. There's 11. He had 11 homeboys, not 12. Uh, but if, if, if JC and his homeboys could change the world, I think we could do the same. Juma Say, WDET News. That was Juma Say's story about the Underground Music Academy opening in Detroit. I really appreciate how you include both the history of the city with the history of this musical genre, which we hold so close to our hearts. And electronic music is really something that we have continually really battled to retain the title as the place where electronic music was born. How much was that battle did you feel that battle yeah. when you were talking to Wajid and talking about you know, this this new entity? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that was definitely a um, a central undercurrent of our conversation, right? This idea that techno music is something that is now, you know, traveled across the globe. Berlin is another massive hub. There's actually a, a man at the event from Berlin, which was interesting. Um, but there's simultaneously this feeling, at least as I picked up on what Wajid was communicating, um, that a lot of folks kind of forget that it started right here in Detroit, right? And that it started with black folks first and foremost. You even, he, he says explicitly at one point, um, Part of the reason for building this academy is to demonstrate to Detroiters that this is our birthright, which I thought was something that is just kind of so incredibly um, salient. I, I started earlier by saying that, you know, one of the ways I identify myself is like a proud black American. Um, and I think I really like doing stories like this because it, it, it allows me to kind of tap into histories of blackness in America, blackness in the United States that I am myself am not necessarily privy to. And it seems are kind of being lost to the ether. Um, so I could definitely feel like with this space was coming this kind of explicit desire to claim um, something that was kind of being lost with time. There's also this sense in the city as spaces get reclaimed and modernized or just replaced um, as gentrification and development really takes over many spaces in the city, that the history of the people who were there 
is lost yeah. and that the there's this kind of rewriting of what Detroit is and who Detroiters are that can erase who Detroiters have been mm. and the history that has been shaped here. Yeah. And music is so much a part of that history, something that we've always been so aware of. There are so many histories that you know are kind of in the background, but our musical history is one we have claimed so readily mm. that you know to to lose track sometimes of the role that electronic music mm. played in Detroit and that Detroit has played in electronic music. It seems really important to our history right now. Yeah, no, it, it, it certainly does. And I feel like that is another kind of consistent um, undercurrent to the conversation that I have had with, you know, Wajid, but also just that I've had with folks around the city, right? Um, this idea that, uh, for years now, Detroit has had sort of one rebirth after another in, 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 in these ev new evolutions of um, this place. It kind of seems like um, the original history can sometimes be lost, right? So spaces like the Underground Music Academy in, in many ways I think are trying to signal to the world that, um, you know, whatever it was that is being built over still remains and still has life to it. Um, one of the things that Wajid said at the very, very top of the, um, the event was that, um, this is a space for the underdogs. And it was, it was clear to me then that what he was speaking towards is the, 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 the fact that because Detroit has gone through so many lives and so many rebirths and so on, um, there's a lot of people that are kind of forgotten in that, but this space strives to highlight those individuals in the community. Um, I wasn't able to include the piece of tape in the final story, but I have it here now, and I think it would be um, lovely just to kind of hear um, how important this is and in the way that he kind of situates himself, the people that this space is for. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Um, we don't celebrate the pirate. I believe that it's the pirate or it's the weirdos or it's the freaks or it's the people like that are outside of the margins that really shape culture and make it worth seeing and worth listening to. Those are the people that are breaking the rules or the people that are thinking different or the people, those are the people that are leading the cause. That's basically who we're building this school for. Yeah, the folks that have been forgotten. That seems to me like a very Detroit sentiment too, that we tend to think of ourselves as, uh, you know, the forgotten city, mm -hmm. the city outside of, uh, you know, the kind of cultural, political norms, the city that was not um, cared for yeah. by the state and by the, the federal government that, you know, Detroit hustles harder because Detroit had to hustle harder. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is that is a very Detroit sentiment to me. Yeah, no, it, it felt very Detroit. Um, yeah, which is part of why I think I, I enjoyed doing this story so much is because it seemed like in um, word and action, Wajid was embodying a spirit that is foundational to um, the way that the ways that communities have persisted here. Yeah. Very interesting. And so um, you were here while the movement festival I was, happened. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I wonder, um, you know, in this uh, focus, especially on electronic music, um, I, I, I really don't have a sense for how people come to the city and experience, especially electronic music. And we hear a little bit more, you know, we've got like the Motown Museum yeah. and there's, so there's more of a, a touristy element to our Motown history. Mm -hmm. 
But I wonder how how do you interface? Like, what did you find coming yeah. to the city at a time when electronic music was really kind of on the agenda on many levels? Did, how did you interact with electronic music? What was that like? Yeah, so this is interesting. Um, I'll say that uh, I've recently, just in my personal life, stepped more into electronic music, um, prompted by a concert that I went to like right after I graduated college. It was great. I was dancing, and I loved it. I, I just, and I feel like I've been feeling the dance music craze. I did not at all know that this history um, began in Detroit until I moved here. So. Coming here and seeing, learning from people how much of a point of pride it was for the city was fascinating. And then being here for Movement Weekend was even more so, right? Because it's it's right in the middle of downtown. It's in Hart Plaza. Um, you have DJs from all over on all these different stages. I had friends from out of town, music friends um, that you know are not in Detroit, have never lived in Detroit, that were asking me about Movement Festival, right? That were coming into the city so they could appreciate and sort of partake in this thing. Um, so again, I think this idea of birthright was just something that was so striking to me while I was standing there. It was just like, oh my Lord, there is there. this is a, a place that is entirely sort of um, dedicated to a love and appreciation, not just for the music, but the place that the music came from. You know what I mean? And you can see that. Um, I don't know. It just, it seemed, it seemed like Detroit and electronic music are one and the same. There are so many people with like Detroit equals techno city shirts and memorabilia and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I feel like that overwhelming sense of pride is also something that feels very Detroit, whether it's about electronic music um, or anything else. Um, so yeah. 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 That's really interesting. I was thinking a little bit about the idea of community um, in music and in Detroit and in electronic music and the and the, you know maintaining that history and you think of like Stacy Hale is yeah. a name that really many Detroiters know, but I don't know that we can connect a narrative. Mm. To Stacey Hale, you know, like, so, like, what's she up to today? And that kind of, you know, and so um, it is an interesting question. What does community around this project look like? Okay, so one of the things that um, Maritza, one of the folks in the um, story mentioned, um, was also this idea that in order to keep this history alive, right? In order to keep Detroit's place in the electronic music scene, it's important that folks in the generations to come have affordable instruments to make stuff on. And that's also a huge role that the Underground Music Academy plays, right? It's not everyone that can buy synths and drum machines, um, you know, things that are very sort of material costs. So it also seemed like functionally there was this incredible um, sort of... um, I don't know what the word is, but this, it just seemed like a massive community benefit in a community space. Um, Again, not just in theory, but in practice. Um, This is uh, just kind of an aside, but about Stacey Hale. um, What was interesting is I, you know, wasn't entirely familiar with who she was when I got to the Underground Music Academy, but I recognized her when um, the the person from DET that I was with pointed her out. And I realized the reason I recognized her is because I was at a party at Spotlight like a couple weeks before that she was DJing. And I remember actively thinking as I was standing there, you know, jamming along to the tunes, 
like, oh, whoever this is, she's cold. You know what I mean? She's really, really good at this. Um, so and then to, um, you know, kind of go to this event a couple weeks later and see her or have her introduced to me as the godmother of of house music was just, it felt like very, very full circle. It also felt like it signaled another huge thing about Detroit is, is it feels like a very big, small town, right? It feels like I, you know, I've only been here for three months and yet people I know know each other and you can kind of see the ways that the city is really um, tight knit. Uh, and that's, that's the only other thing that I have to say. Yeah. I always think of Detroit and Detroiters as uh, people who are separated by one degree. There is one degree of separation at Detroit. Exactly. If you know anybody, you almost know everybody. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing that story with us, Juma. Of course, of course, of course. It was a pleasure to work on it and a pleasure to speak to you about it. <laughs> well... Thank you, dear listener, for joining us for the Detroit Evening Report Weekends, where we spend some time with the people and places that make Detroit special. If there is anything or anyone you think we should know about, drop us a line at the Detroit Evening Report at WDET.org. We'll see you Monday. Yeah, yeah.